Hello, all of you amazing stoked paddlers. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Rise and Glide podcast brought to you by Paddlogger. Uh, today, we had the honor and the absolute pleasure to talk to Bella, um, who has crossed two oceans rowing. And her story was just so phenomenal, eh, Holly? I, I really enjoyed just sitting back and, and more so listening to her stories and and really enjoyed this conversation about rowing across two freaking oceans. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I know, I was thinking the same. Just listening to her chat about her memories was kind of just, I was in awe. I mean, would you ever do that? Would you ever row across an ocean? I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if I'm built for that. Like Bella, like, like listening to her talk and her stories about how much time and preparation like goes into that. And then the fact that you are out at sea for so long, I don't know. I, I like crossings, like living here on the Great Lakes. I love doing Great Lake crossings. I've crossed like, but that was like a 50 to 60 kilometer feet. I don't know if I could do hundreds and thousands of miles like that's intense what what about you do you think you could cross an ocean it is crazy it's something I haven't really thought about to be honest so I guess I don't know I'm the same as you I think I'm intrigued but I don't know if I'd ever actually be able to pull it off I think yeah the dedication to it there's so many things I love to do I don't know if I'd be willing to give them all up to just focus on one thing I think if I did do it I would love it and I would be so glad I did it um but who knows we'll see maybe one day (laughs) maybe you and I could start our own team (laughs) (laughs) you me Bella and then we'll find a fourth person we'll do our (laughs) four-man team paddle logger team maybe Dave will join us we'll pick an ocean and go across it I think that'd be pretty cool (laughs) yeah I don't think I'd be very good at the like calming myself down um when things start to go wrong or if I was feeling challenged I think I'd get very stressed and I'd probably panic not that there's much that you could do with that (laughs) you can't just quit um and I guess that's part of the part of the challenge right but I mean it would be yeah, it would be an amazing feat, but a massive, uh, massive part of your life for sure. Yeah, I agree. But, um, yeah, I mean, have you ever done any kind of rowing before at all? Or just like in the gym? Um, yeah, more so in the gym. I think once in grade eight, we had like a summer gym class that was like a credit towards our high school uh, physical education degree. And they made us try rowing. And I remember one of the row coaches, he did come up to me and he was like, oh, Maddie, you'd be such a good coxie. Like you're so small and like, but you're powerful. So you'd be a good coxie. And I remember literally my response back to him was so sassy. Like I said, I, like straight away, I was like, no. He said, if I'm going to be in a rowboat, I want to row. I don't just want to sit there and steer and then like yell at people. I'm like, no, that's not. That's not what I want to do. So, yeah, I, I never actually ended up, like, rowing in, in high school, even though I had that opportunity. I definitely straight up turned it down. And, uh, yeah, I just kind of, like, stick to the erg anytime I do row now in the gym, which isn't fun. <laughs> I just do it because I have to. 
<laughs> and I feel like it's so different anyway. I don't know that that I can even. I probably should take that back. <laughs> That's the kind of rowing because it's not. Um, but no, it was a great conversation. I'm really glad we got to chat with Bella about kind of yeah the reason behind it as well I think that's such a great message you know getting hearing how she wasn't I guess no one's born a rower are they but she wasn't born into this adventurous um super fit person that she obviously needs to be to cross oceans and be self-sufficient like she trained herself to do that and it was super hard but she's done it and even now she's not necessarily superwoman no one is superwoman but she's able to like push that message every day and yeah it's it's great to hear anyone who's listening could row an ocean there's no reason why not um and uh yeah that definitely translates into everyday life a lot of the messages that she shared as well absolutely i i almost picture bella as like the female version of chris uh british you know like like doing such a phenomenal feat and having a strong mindset at the same time and and being super like humble and realistic about it as well so I think anyone who is interested in long 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 (laughs) battles or crazy (laughs) expeditions should really definitely tune into this episode um, because Bella has a lot of valuable points that I think we all can learn from and apply to our daily lives yeah absolutely so without further ado let's get into this episode we really hope you enjoy it hey bella so great to chat with you today thank you so much for joining us on rise and glide um we are super excited to kind of chat all things rowing and uh (laughs) ocean crossings with you um but before we kind of get deep into that conversation um could you tell us a little bit more about who you are and where you've come from and what you do and kind of yeah a bit of background information yeah let me see if i can summarize it um uh so i'm bella i am in short an ocean rower which is pretty niche but it's not uh it's not my job like I'm not an adventurer full-time I I work in uh, uh, as a consultant at the moment but have been working across multiple businesses throughout my life Um, my 20s started with me sort of being in London as a marketing assistant I was uh, nicknamed Lisa Simpson by my brothers because I was sort of the the nerdy one at school that wasn't really that adventurous and had no hand-eye coordination whatsoever Um, but at the age of 20 got asked to row across an ocean uh, and for various reasons, listened to my gut and said, give it a go. Um, and that's where it all started from. So, yeah, in the last 10 years, I have rowed across the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, breaking, breaking a, f- a few world records. Um, and, yeah, I also have my professional career alongside that as well. And um, a little bit more about me. I live in Cornwall, moved here three years ago um, after a couple of years living in California. I've got a wonderful dog named Koa. Um, and, yeah, it's probably like a top line summary of who I am. That was a great summary. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I... Wow. How how cool is that, eh, Holly? I don't think I get to talk to many people that say they've crossed not only just one, but like <laughs> two oceans that we have, which is so phenomenal. Like that in itself is like, <laughs> I think that's all you needed to say for the intro. Yeah. <laughs> 
it becomes That's quite normal to me. I'm like, oh, I've just rode across some oceans. But I think, and I, I'm in that ocean rowing world, so I know lots of people that rode oceans. So to me, it's like quite normal. It's like, yeah, it's been for paddleboard this morning. But actually, I forget that it's not normal <laughs> at all. Yeah, it's like super, I mean, how many people, I think it's something like 60-something people have rowed across the Atlantic. Is that it? Is that right? Or that's probably gone up. Oh, it's, yeah, it's more than that now. I think it's a, maybe like more like I'm going to say 300 oh, or wow. more okay. now. It's I was very wrong. I'm quite a sport, but it's still less than like people who have climbed Mount Everest. And um, I think more people have probably been to space. I think that's the other stat as well. So it's still fairly uncharted um, waters, excuse the pun, but um, it's slowly gaining popularity as a sort of an extreme sport in a way. I mean, it's a very extreme sport. <laughs> Yeah. You said that you you got asked to row across an ocean. How did that come about the first time? Yeah. So um, right at the very beginning, my when I was about thirteen, my uncle rowed across the Atlantic solo, um, and I just thought at the time, oh my gosh, this is absolutely crazy. Um, who would do this? And yeah, he was sort of idolised in my life at that point. Um, and I never really thought, gosh, that was something that I'd be able to do. And it wasn't really an ambition of mine either. Um, but then when I was about 20, my brother then went to row the Indian Ocean. So he rowed from Australia to, meant to be Mauritius. He missed Mauritius and had to go up to the Seychelles. And um, we, I was in the Seychelles waiting for him to come in. Um, and one of the girlfriends of the boys on the boat uh, was a woman called Lauren and she'd attempted to row across the Atlantic Ocean when she was uh, oh, earlier on that year and she'd failed and she had to get picked up by a tanker and taken up to Canada when she was just 400 miles away from Antigua. So she was putting together a new team to try and compete, uh, complete the, the ocean crossing. And she said to me one night, I think probably after a few cocktails, or you know, I think you'd be good fancy joining me in, in the new team. And to be honest, I didn't really think it was something I'd be capable of. I wasn't a rower. I'm five foot four. Like, I'm not, I'm not the person that I wouldn't pick me as a teammate, put it that way. Um, but when I got back to London, it kind of remained in my head and it kept bugging me. And I sort of chased her and I said, oh, are you still looking for a teammate? I think, I think I'm in. And it, and it all went from there. And uh, we went on to row uh, across the Atlantic that Christmas. So not long at all afterwards? No, it was about, uh, I think it was wow. only like a 10-month campaign. It was really quick. Uh, we pulled all together. Lauren was amazing. She sort of became a project manager and took the whole campaign on, really, and was a, an amazing skipper um, and, yeah, threw us all in the deep end. I mean, the first time I went in a rowing boat a couple of months later, I didn't know which way to pull the oars, whether it was, like, clockwise or anti-clockwise. I was like, I have no idea how to do this. So I think I ended up going backwards. But, um, yeah, I had, to, I had to learn very quickly how to row a boat and uh, survive across the Atlantic. Were you, were you, like, quite into, I guess, were you quite fit and into water sports before that anyway? Did, it, did picking up a new skill come quite easily to you? Or was that, like, was the whole thing, that 10-month campaign, was it learning everything from, from scratch? everything from scratch i mean i'm a sailor my my family are sailors um from both my mom and my dad's side so there was a certain level of being at one with the water that i've always had i'm not scared of it i'm i'm much happier on the water than i am on land but in terms of like practical skills i'm not practical at all uh in terms of fitness i was 
I was okay at like hockey at school, for example, but like I wasn't uh, an athlete in any way. And I moved to London. I hadn't been to the gym for two years. Um, so it was all a massive learning curve. And I um, don't remember much of those first few days being at sea. And when I came back from being at sea, I definitely sort of had an almost like lost identity in terms of I don't know what to do next because I was therefore, you know, stuck in London having done this amazing row and I was like, I don't know who I am now and what I need to do with my life. And so it was quite confusing um, and definitely led me down a, you know, a route in my life that I didn't expect at all, but one I'm hugely grateful for doing and, and you know, the fact that I have the guts to say yes, it's probably one of the best decisions of my life. <laughs> Wow, that that's just absolutely so incredible. I, I still think it's just such a phenomenal feat to have to have done both and at such a young age. And, and also at the same time, too, it's like you're you're working like full time career as well. Like, how do you found? Or how do you find that balance? Ugh, <laughs> I can't talk today. That balance between like working, but completing these feats that you know, it's not like, hey, I'm just going out for a 10K paddle. It's like they're they're extreme. They're long. They're <laughs> very long. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I haven't had much balance. Um, I think that my 20s have been, um, so I'm now 30 and um, reviewing how much stress I have in my life, to be honest. Um, it, it's, not, it's not easy. And I think that half the challenge of rowing across an ocean is getting to the start line because everybody has to either find the sponsorship to do it or they have to fund it themselves um, or a bit of both. Um, so it is really highly stressful. And on top of all the sponsorship, you've got to, you know, get all the skills you need to do. So first aid at sea, navigation, um, how to survive at sea in a life raft. Like there's a lot of skills you need to do before you're even allowed to go and get to the, you know, get to the start line, as well as, you know, the gym training, your team dynamic training. So there's, that's a full-time job. And then you've got your full-time job next to it. Um, and so you have to have really understanding um, employers if you're going to go and, ta and tackle something like this. And I've been really fortunate that I've been so supported by both my employers at the time that I decided to row across an ocean. And actually, there are lots of companies that do understand that there's so many skill sets about rowing across an ocean that you can bring back into the office. And um, it's one of the things I love sharing, actually, is about the things that I've learned at sea and the things I've learned about teamwork and resilience. And I bring that back into my professional career. Um, but yeah, back, back to your original question about balance. It, it has been really, really hard. And um, I have to had to sacrifice a lot to uh, to do those two oceans. Um, but I would don't, you know, wouldn't change it for the world because it's made me who I am today. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with who I am today, thankfully. <laughs> Oh, that that's, that makes me really happy to hear that, that you're happy with, with who you are. And, <laughs> and I think that's actually quite phenomenal, too, that, like, most especially you touched on the point of your employers kind of having that understanding and, and being willing to let you go and pursue those journeys. And I think, you know, a smart employer would, would understand that, like, going after something that big and chasing a dream that big does apply to a lot of what real life is, right? And I'm sure you gained a lot of great qualities and learned a lot about yourself um, from completing those feats that that you can bring into the workplace as as you continue to grow and and change. So I'm I'm really curious, yeah. like what what did preparation look like for for both of your crossings? Like how logistically did that work for you? Yeah, um, for, for both of them, it was about almost like looking at the skill sets in your team and dividing and conquering, because 
like in any team, you can't all be the same and you can't all have the same skill set. So it's like, okay, well, who is the best person suited to bringing the money in and, and pitching and being almost like the face of the campaign? Because not everybody actually wants to be in the public eye versus who are the people that actually just really want to get on with ordering the equipment and you know being there with the boat builders and understanding what needs to go on there. And maybe other people are really good at the team dynamics and bringing everybody together and saying, right, here's some questions we need to do today. Like, how are we going to get to know each other? How do you act under stress? Like that real sort of like personal type stuff. And so you look at all those those skill sets you have within a team and you say, right, let's divide and conquer. And sometimes you've got two people on one thing or the whole team needs to be on some things. But right at the start of the campaign, looking at that, and and building those accountabilities out essentially and it's exactly the same as it would be if you're in a business um you know who needs to do what and who's best suited to do it or which teams do you build within those teams so uh, that's one of the things um and then the gym training is is a lot so it's obviously a huge um sort of task on your body to be at sea from anything between depending on which ocean you do between 30 to I don't know it could be up to 80 days so that repetitive um motion on your body a bit like paddleboarding actually is very very repetitive and your body has to be able to to cope with that um so uh I have a great PT and he's quite uh, renowned within the ocean rowing world uh for the right training. Uh, so for the Pacific, for example, we got to a point that I did a marathon on a rowing machine that took me three and a half hours straight. Um, and a rowing machine is a lot harder than rowing on the ocean. So that was really hard work. Um, but he managed to get me from being able to row for about 10 minutes to three and a half hours in six months. Um, so that took a lot of, a lot of dedication and hard work. Um, and then, yeah, you're spending a lot of time on the boat. So actually, you know, training in, in the UK waters and just spending hours just getting to know your team, getting to know your boat, practicing shift patterns and changeovers and trying your uh, your uh, dry food, you know, what, what flavors do you want out at sea, making sure that it's going to be right for you. So, yeah, there's a lot, a lot that goes into it. And um, it can be a bit daunting when you start. You're sort of like, wow, I've said yes to rowing across an ocean and there is so much to do and you just have to take it one step at a time. You know, what's the first thing that's going to get us one step closer um, and just tick it off? Because if you try and focus on the whole bigger picture, it can be so overwhelming that you just don't start. Um, and that's probably my advice to anybody for anything big, any adventure, just don't be overwhelmed by what the finish line is. Just, you know, take take your first step and focus on getting that one completed. And when you have, go and take your next step and miraculously you end up a years down the line at the finish line. That's that's really cool to hear that, like just how many moving pieces there are to such a a big feat, a big, <laughs> a really big paddle. Um, I'm also curious, like how how do you decide like who gets to be in the boat? Like how how does the team structure work and say like, hey, I want to I, I mean, I'm sure there's quite a few people that say I want to cross an ocean. So how do you guys all come together at like that time to be able to pick your team and and have who gets to sit with you in the boat. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of people that I speak to and they always say, oh, do you know what? One day I'd love to row an ocean. But it's the people that come back to you and say, when are you going to row it? I want to be in your next team. They're the people that you know and need to be in your boat. And actually, there's very few of them um, that that really have that inner want to, to do it because, like I've mentioned, it is a huge sacrifice and there's a lot that you have to give up. And you can't persuade people to do this. You can't force them or you can't give them a pitch and be like, go on, give it a go. Like they have to have this real inner want and need to do it because it, you know, a campaign could be a year to two years long. Um, and when they're getting up at 3 a.m. for that night shift when they're out on the oars, they've got to want to do it. Um, so first of all, you've got to start with that 
that inner want. And then you've got to look at your team dynamics, right? Okay, well, what does this team want to do? As in like, some people do ocean rows, rows because of the adventure and they want to have fun and they want to jump in the ocean in the middle of the sea and they want to stop when they see the dolphins. And lots of teams want to do it because they want to break world records and they're doing it out of a serious like place of athleticism, if that's a word, athleticism, I think so. Um, and actually you've got to gel as a team. Um, so my teams, it's always been about having a sense of fun but that sense of fun being the the means to having a successful row. So probably somewhere in the middle. Like I, I genuinely believe that when you are a happy team, you perform. And when you're performing, you're rowing hard and you're being consistent and therefore you're going to have a really successful crossing. And I would say that that's the reason why both my rows have been successful. Um, so that's the type of people that I look for, people that, you know, are motivated, they're consistent, they're strong, but they're always going to have fun and they're always going to put that fun first above everything else. And, and that's what I always look for in people. Did you know all the people that you were rowing, that you rowed with before you kind of took on the challenge? I know you mentioned that one of them was um, the girlfriend of uh, a friend, but did you know anyone else in the team or was were you all like quite new to each other? Um, yes, my first crossing across the Atlantic, they were all new. I didn't know any of them um, because Laura and the skipper pulled us all together. Um, but we were young, fairly naive, I would say. And um, we just had a really good good time. I mean, it was it was really hard and it was horrible. And I can talk about some of those stories. But um, Lauren made sure we had fun. And then the second one, uh, the Pacific, I didn't know P and P was the one that pulled it all together so I'd only just met her but we immediately had this like synergy and we were like we're gonna be best friends for life and um yeah we we, we still are and she was looking for two more teammates and I knew of these two women from my hometown in Essex and I said look I'm not close with them but I have a feeling they're going to be the right uh, team members and so I reached out to them um and we became close through uh through the row as well so yeah it was a bit a bit of both Cool. Yeah. I mean, it must be hard to find people who want to do it as badly as you, but it's also hard kind of going and spending that much time at sea with somebody that you don't know all that well, I guess. I mean, you must get to know each other pretty quickly, but do you all train together and kind of prepare together or do you um, do it all individually and then come together like at the end to actually get going? Um. So in both my rows, we all lived, uh, actually, no, so the first one we all lived in London, really, but we kind of trained together in in on the water and then separately in the gyms. My second row, we all lived in different parts of the UK. Um, and so we did a lot of time on Zoom, for example, every Monday on Zoom, go through to-do lists, chat to each other, how's everyone getting on? And then meeting up over the weekends to then train um, on the oars, on, on the water. So a little bit of both. I think that it is really important that you do get to know people um, face-to-face because there's nothing like like really seeing in the way that the tone that people um, sort of talk to you with and the way you interact. So yeah, it's, it, was a bit, it was a bit of both really. Yeah. I got, sorry, I've got both my dogs here that are now trying to get in my <laughs> face. There, if, you hear, if anyone hears any dog noises, that is, that is what is happening. <laughs> no worries. Uh, it would be great to hear more actually about the kind of team aspect and how you got on as a team. Was it all plain sailing or did you have like disagreements on the water and kind of spending too much time with each other as well um the Atlantic we got on like we all got on so well um because yeah that that sort of that young naivety type thing and um Olivia one of my other teammates she did such an amazing job of hiding like 
presents and treats on on the boat so like one night she uh, brought out all these gold leotards I think it was like New Year's Eve and we were all like had this like, gold leotard rowing session with gold glitter everywhere and it was like just amazing and then another like hurdle which we made, we got through I think maybe it was like 500 miles to go um we had uh, face masks and we all had these face masks on and we sort of had all these moments together that really kept us like together as a team and then the Pacific we were actually four very headstrong women, quite different personalities. And we had to work really hard to make sure that we weren't going to fall out at the scene and we understood each other's communication styles. So you spent a lot of time before the road really trying to figure that one out in terms of if you're stressed, how do those, uh, how does your personality show that stress? Like for me, for example, I cry a lot. Um, and that's just how I... I act I'm an emotional person and so I needed to tell my team not to worry if I was crying but just to let me you know pop into the cabin and process my emotions so I can come out an hour later and be like cool I'm done crying left that emotion back in there and I can pop back out again but like Mary for example she's quite like a bit tougher I would say and she just doesn't really cry but it doesn't mean that she doesn't get stressed and when she gets stressed she just went silent and actually the way that you sort of break Mary down in in that situation you'd almost like joke around with her be like oh Mary a bit moody today and she'd be like oh yeah fine I am a bit moody like so you could have a joke with her or the same with P for example with P if she was stressed or emotional she needed to be heard she needed to like voice her opinion and talk about it and then have a really good cuddle at the end of it and so you learn about all these different things about each other before you go to sea so that you're not you're never second guessing when you're out there uh, and therefore we didn't really have any big arguments when we when we were out there like yes there were definitely some heated moments but because you've learned each other's communication styles you can very quickly get through it and then leave it and move on yeah it sounds wow I guess it's like an intensive friendship <laughs> intensive um kind of getting used to each other and learning each other uh, so that you don't have any uh, yeah it's like speed dating but it's friends you have to be like right yeah. okay we need to learn of each other <laughs> you almost have to like, figure out like like you've known each other since the age of four but you've only known each other for a year and you have to know each other's like deepest darkest secrets because uh you don't want them coming out at sea so yeah it's an intense an intense course of friendship yeah, yeah. that's what was that's, the... that's so cool <laughs> sorry Holly. what was the like sorry <laughs> what was the on the water training like before you headed out did you go like in your boat offshore for long periods of time or was it kind of all quite close to shore um I know obviously in London it's not maybe so easy to go out into the the deep the deep water um but yeah like what did your kind of training look like I'm only asking because I feel like it must be so hard to prepare for 30 days or more at sea where you're totally self-sufficient like I struggle to imagine how you can really train for that apart from the fitness yeah, um, you you can't. <laughs> you can't really prepare for twenty foot waves. You can't really prepare for sleep deprivation. Um, but you can prepare as that team in terms of like understanding how that team works under stress. And that's where that training in the UK waters does help because you training in British waters is really stressful because you've always got really strong tides to contend with. You've always got really strong wind to contend with. So. You could do like a three-day row from, you know, out of um, like one of the rivers in Essex and up the East Coast. And yes, you're never going that far from shore, but actually navigating all the boats, the tides, the 
you know, the sands and uh, all the like massive hurdles that you've got in British waters when you're sort of uh, uh, navigating them. Uh, Gets, lets you get to know each other as a team and also you get to know your, your boat. And you can run certain drills, like, you know, anchor drills are very similar to the power anchor drills that you have out in the ocean. So there are certain things that you can do uh, within British waters that can semi-prepare you, but nothing's going to fully prepare you for, yeah, 20-foot waves. Like, you only find those in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Was the, the Atlantic and the Pacific, were they very different to each other? Uh, yeah, really different. The Atlantic um, is predominantly trade winds that are behind you. Um, you know, they if you didn't row, you would get blown to the Caribbean eventually. Um, so that is a really good factor. Um, we actually had did have some headwinds when we headed out of um, the Canary Islands, and we knew that we weren't strong enough to row into them. Like, there's some pretty strong men's teams that we were racing across, and they thought that they could row into them, and so they just went, you know, the most direct route to Antigua. We actually decided to head south and see if we could find stronger uh, trade winds further south in the Atlantic. Um, and we were really lucky. We, they were there and we overtook about like 10, 10 boats in I think like two days. Um, and we actually came second out of 26 teams that are out, out in that race because we took that risk to, you know, essentially row a, around the weather system and find the trade winds. Um, and... We also had a hurricane actually in the Atlantic. So it was the first hurricane to hit the Atlantic at that time of year in over 80 years or something silly like that. Uh, so we were stuck for three days in our cabins whilst that hurricane hit. And weirdly, it wasn't that scary. It was just really sh strong winds in the wrong direction, um, which was really frustrating because we were having a really good time and we were rowing really quickly. And then suddenly you're stuck for three days almost heading in the wrong direction. Uh, whereas the Pacific, um, was really different. Rowing out of San Francisco is really hard and all the winds and the currents are trying to push you down towards Mexico, essentially. So they're going from, from north to south and you're constantly just rowing, looking over your left shoulder, looking at where these waves are going to come from rather than the Atlantic where they're always behind you. So they're pushing you in the right, in the right direction. So that was really hard to get away from California. And then we had a, a huge system that came in that was the only time in my life that I felt in danger at sea. Um, I felt my life was at risk and um, the waves were just so enormous that the whole boat was just felt like it's being thrown around everywhere. Um, but it only lasted about 24 hours and the next day the water just went flat as a pancake. I mean, it was just mother nature at its finest from one extreme to the other. It was like rowing through Marmite the next day. So it was totally crazy. And then the rest of the row, we basically didn't have any wind. We just kept being told by weather router, it's gonna come, the wind's gonna come, it's gonna push you towards Hawaii. And we just, it just never came. And we had to row really hard. And I lost like 12 kilograms in 35 days because we had to row really, really hard. Wow. Uh, so yeah, different, very different experiences. That's crazy. I bet like, did that 24 hours that you said, like the waves were so enormous, um, like did that feel like forever even though you're like oh it was only 24 hours I'm picturing like man if, if I was on the edge of my seat for 24 hours I'm sure that must have felt like an eternity yeah it did and it started off so fun because at first the waves were so big and we were like almost surfing them and you was like woohoo this is amazing like we're on our way to Hawaii like yeah and then suddenly uh 
it got dark and you couldn't see which direction the wind and the waves were coming from and you start spinning on them and you know being threatened to capsize and so we put our power anchor out uh in the water and your power anchor is essentially like a, a parachute that you put 70 feet underneath the water and it holds you in place or roughly in place and that is attached to the bow of the boat and i was sleeping in the bow with my teammate p who was incredibly seasick at the time because we had only just started the row and um i just remember hearing the the tug the constant tug of of the of the line on the bow um and just thinking the boat was going to snap in two. And the other two girls were in the stern cabin, so I couldn't get hold of them because our walkie-talkies are broken. And I had no idea if they were okay or not, if they were, or if they were scared or if they were totally fine. But P was kind of not really with it, so she didn't really know what was happening. And I just felt incredibly alone. But there was one moment when P sort of came round and I just said to her, I was like, I am absolutely terrified. Like, I'm, I'm praying, I'm not even religious, and I, I, I don't really know what to do. And she just said, well, you know, do you, do you trust in the boat? And I was like, I trust the boat. Like, I think, you know, the boat's solid. Well, do you trust that the knots you've thrown, you know, you, you've, you've tied and thrown out are, are good? Yeah, I trust the knots. Well, then you just have to, you have to rest in that trust, right? And you just lie there um, and sort of in and out of consciousness, really, um, and very uncomfortable. But, you know, the sun does, does come up and a new day does come around. And I've actually got a tattoo uh, that's sort of around that sentiment in terms of even in the times that, it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Actually, the sun rises every day like clockwork and you have to like believe in that. Um, and it's always a reminder to me that, yeah, there, there is always light even if you can't see it. Wow. Um, that, I think that's so inspiring that, that you take that message with you now and you're gonna have that with you for the rest of your life after doing something so incredibly hard. Um, is there any other messages that like you learned from your crossings that you would pass on to other people or, or you would share in terms of what you learned and the hardships that you have gone through? So many. Yeah, I, uh, I, I do uh, like public speaking around them now in terms of like trying to share those learnings with other people because you never know, they might just help one person um, change something for the better, uh, either for themselves or for others. Um, so yeah, there, there are lots of lessons around sort of resilience and actually how to build resilience um, and, and be stronger in the face of adversity. Um, a lot of lessons around teamwork, actually. And actually, uh, I think a lot of people expect people to be perfect and a lot of people expect themselves to be perfect. And um, actually, no one is. So be kind to people because everyone has their, their faults and actually people probably are aware of their faults and it's probably their insecurities as well. So just be kind to people that they, they're not perfect. They can't live life in the way that you do. So look for what their attributes are and utilize those and make the most of those and be forgiving for where they're not, they're not you know, living maybe up to your expectations. Um, in the same way to be forgiving to yourself that you're not perfect and you know really work on, okay, well, what am I good at? And how can I almost like lean into those skill sets more to you know add even more value to, to other people's lives or campaigns or work with those skill sets you have don't almost work so hard on the things you can't do because maybe they're just not what you meant to do um so yeah I learned a lot about about people uh and and myself um and I'm constantly learning maybe that's the other thing like you just because you rode one ocean doesn't mean that you know how to row every ocean right like I'm constantly learning and, and constantly evolving and um, 
that's that's something that I constantly take into my life is that like I'm not now I'm now not perfect because I've gone and done something like massive like I've still got a lot to learn and I will continue trying to push myself to you know to be the best version of myself I truly love like that message as well because I think from some of the research that like Holly and I have done uh on you Bella (laughs) in preparation for this episode is a lot of like in empowering women and like trying to also get women to like step out of their comfort zones and and push what they think is capable of and maybe this is just really good timing but i saw like the barbie movie last week in theaters mm-hmm. <laughs> and i feel i still haven't seen it i can't believe it yeah oh my god i haven't okay. seen it either what oh ladies okay you have to see it because <laughs> Literally everything you just said, Bella, is so in relation to the premise of that movie. It is about, like, female empowerment, and it is about not being perfect and being able to understand other humans, but take the skill sets that you have in your life and know what you're good at and use them as kind of, like, your superpowers. So I think it's just... Oh, I love yeah, that. it's it's really inspiring to hear you say all of those things because I think it's so applicable to to the world that we we live in today yeah and I mean to be honest like I'm a complete contradict because I have to remind myself of it daily like I I say like don't be hard on yourself and, and lean into your best assets and every day I'm still like I'm not good enough you know like I'm, I'm not good enough at this or I'm not a good enough friend at that or oh I didn't do a good enough job at you know whatever and and it's really hard I think we're all really hard on ourselves and so I have to remind myself all the time Bella, it's okay, what you've done is enough. Um, and just all you can do is what you can do. And yeah, if I can remind other women, especially because I think women are particularly hard on themselves, you're good enough, you know, put, put your mind to something, I'm sure you can achieve more, but don't feel like you need to either. Like, you know, you, you're good enough as it is. Um, and yeah, I think we all need reminding of that a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a really important message to share out for sure. When you were, I just want to go back to like chatting about that scary moment in the middle of the ocean when you just weren't sure what was going to happen next or when it was going to end. Like, do you have any kind of, um, I know there's not like mobile signal out there, but like, did what did you use to kind of forecast the weather? Could you see that it was going to end or was it literally just waiting it out? Um, no, we have a weather router on land. Um, so you have a sat phone. And through the sat phone, you can receive uh, a forecast from your weather router. Uh, we also have something called a BGAN, which um, if you connect it to a satellite uh, and it generates a Wi-Fi signal. And then you can connect to that to then download emails. Um, so we could then get longer weather reports through through email. Um, it's, you know, it's not good enough to sit and scroll on Instagram, but, you know, it's enough to communicate and it gets better every year. Like it blows my mind actually how much connectivity you can get out on the ocean now compared to my first crossing on the Atlantic where, you know, it was barely a message and now you can send back videos. It's incredible. Um, so, yeah, we have a weather router and you can't really row around around systems that much because you're so slow. You know, you're going an average probably two and a half knots. So it's more about um, just adjusting slightly to what is in your control, but also accepting what, what's ahead of you and managing that. Mm. How did you prepare for that? Like, did the boats, you mentioned about um, being worried the boat was going to capsize. Is that quite likely in that, those kind of conditions or are they really good at staying upright? 
no, they do happen capsizes quite a lot. Um, the boats are made to self-right. So as long as you've got the cabin doors shut, shut, which is number one rule when you're out in the ocean, then essentially you've got two air pockets at either end of the boat that if the boat capsizes, brings the boat back upright again. So being at sea is really about um, being very sensible and very, um, what am I trying to say, uh, regulated, I guess. Um, everything has to be tied down. You're always tied to the boat. You know, the last thing you want is that the boat capsizes. You're not attached to the boat. You're separated from it. There's basically a nile, like you're not going to be able to get back to the boat again. You will be lost at sea. So it's very much like you come out the cabin, you shut the door, you attach yourself to the boat and that's, you know, cardinal rules. Um, so yeah, that it's not scary if you stick to those things. It only becomes a problem if you don't. Yeah, it's still nerve wracking though when you're in that situation and you have to rely on that. You have no other kind of, or nothing else is in your control, I guess. You have to no. trust, exactly like you said, you trust that everything's gonna happen uh, just as you planned it. and yeah you, you can't control it yeah. any further than that yeah it's tough mm. yeah yeah what made you go and do a second one um probably because the first one i was so young part of me wondered whether it was just like fluke that i did it um you know you said at the beginning that i wasn't a rower and i had to learn so much that year and I, even though i knew i contributed to the team in terms of um I was a you know a good team member. I tried my best to you know to be positive and have fun and you know be a, a good team member. And I pulled the oars, yeah. But I don't really, I didn't feel like I learned enough that actually I deserved the pedestal that quite a lot of people put me on. And so the Pacific for me was about okay, I'm older, I'm wiser. I'd like to you know, I like to feel like I belong on the pedestal that sometimes people put me on. Um, so it was definitely a, more of a self-fulfilling thing and it turned into be something bigger than that as well because uh, we built this brand called Ocean Shiro's and that became something about inspiring other people uh, and using positivity to create change that essentially uh, helps protect the planet. Um, so there was a second meaning once that was created that really drove us all um, and we were we loved you know working with our sponsors and um, you know, the campaign that we did and the social media, and we, we just loved all of that. So there became another reason um, once we got into it as well. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm so curious, do you think you'll do another crossing in your lifetime? <laughs> uh, never say never. Um, I know that right now, you know, talking about like, the sacrifices it takes to row across an ocean. I'm definitely at a time in my life where I'm reflecting on my 20s and I wouldn't change it for the world. And I'm so proud of everything I've learned, but I need to give myself a break. And I think right now I'm at a place where actually I'd really like to uh, enjoy Cornish living. I'd like to be able to go out paddleboarding or surfing or swimming um, and not feel guilty for doing it because I've got a long to-do list or a campaign to run or I need to be in the gym on a rowing machine. You know, I just, for a little bit want to to live and be present uh, without thinking what other things I need to be doing or, or trying to strive for the next the next sort of medal in a way. So I'm giving myself a break, but I also know that I am ambitious and um, 
I do love being at sea. So yeah, never say never. Um, I do have sort of a dream of maybe sailing across an ocean and maybe I'll go out and try and get, you know, some more sailing qualifications so I can, you know, take a woman's team across uh, across an ocean in a, in a sailing boat. Um, but who knows what's around the corner? I don't I don't really believe in planning five years ahead um, because you, you lose sight of opportunities that might cross your path. But um, yeah, who knows? That's, yeah. that's, that's phenomenal. When you, um, what was it kind of like with the eating and sleep deprivation? You were, were you rowing or you generally, I guess, row two hours on and two hours off? Is that kind of standard for everyone it, or is that just what your team have decided to do? Uh, for, for four person teams, uh, two hours on, two hours off is pretty standard. Yeah, 24 seven throughout the night. Uh, on Row Like a Girl, my Atlantic Crossing, we actually at midnight did three hours on, three hours off. So you got a three hour sleep in at night time and you only had to do one night shift. So uh, that was something we did in that team, but for the Pacific, because of the way that we did the shift patterns with a crossover, um, it, that wouldn't have worked. And so it was just two hours on, two hours off constantly. Um, yeah, and that, that becomes your, your new norm. Um, yeah, <laughs> it sounds pretty grim and it is What's pretty it grim. Like? So when, you, when you're in your off time, or when you're rowing, you're rowing hard, and then in your off time, you obviously have to not just sleep. You've got to eat something, um, clean, do whatever you need to yeah. do, <laughs> as well as fit in some yeah. sleep. How did you deal with that? Uh, it does become your norm after about five days, I would say. Like the first five days, it's just a whirlwind. And actually in both rows, I, I have memory loss from, from both of them because it's just baptism of fire survival um you don't brush your teeth for five days you don't change your bra you don't like it's just well what have i what have i done i think i actually remember doing a, a video diary being like this is a form of torture like this is horrible and then it just becomes your new norm and you fall into routine and you know which shifts you brush your teeth on you know you might brush your hair once a once a day or um every shift you come off you clean yourself hygiene's number one because you don't ever want to get an infection when you're out there um, you learn which shifts you like to rest in and which ones you like making your food in. And you just, you just find a pattern. And I, I quite often compare it to being what I imagine a new parent, um, because I see so many mums in those first couple of days of having a kid and no one teaches you how to have a kid, right? And, um, not that I have children, this is not speaking from experience at all, but just from what I've seen. Um, and it's actually where I draw inspiration from, but mums are sort of put into this baptism of fire with a new thing they have to keep alive and they just have to get on with it and I, I see the same with ocean rowing in terms of you just have to get on with it and suddenly it becomes normal and you manage to live with that sleep deprivation and in your day-to-day -day life like now I have to have eight hours sleep like I do not function well with less than eight hours sleep but somehow at sea under that extreme environment you just get used to it and your bodies are remarkable and your mind's remarkable and I think that when people say oh, I, I couldn't row an ocean I'm like you don't know until you try in the same way that you don't know if you can be a mum until suddenly you've got a baby in your arms so yeah you just you just get on with it yeah that's a good point and I guess you you just have to make it work you yeah you have no choice yeah you do you just, <laughs> your, your mind just does it you know in we all get thrown things in our life and they seem you know so stressful and you, un, you can't understand how you're going to get through it and you do you, you, you people are way more resilient than they think and uh, sometimes again you have to remind yourself of that 
That's right. Mm. I, I had to go for blood work yesterday and I had to fast like eight to 10 hours before. And I was like, this is one of the hardest things I've ever done. I can't function without food, but you're right. Like you, you get to that point where our minds are resilient and, and we can push through the hard. And I still, I, I think just sitting here and like listening to you talk this whole time, I, I'm still in quite a bit of awe that you've been able to accomplish like something so big twice <laughs> not even just once but twice like i i'm really excited to to share that message with everyone because i think what you do is so inspiring bella and and i hope whatever you choose to do in the future as well it's it's just as big and it's just as awesome um no matter what that may be <laughs> yeah well that's a scary thing it's sort of like oh, do I want to go out and do something big or do I just want to be contented and just, you know, potter along? And I, I you know that's, that changes all the time because sometimes I want to go out and inspire more people and achieve big things and see more things that I'm capable of. And sometimes we're like, I just want to wake up and go surfing and walk my dog. <laughs> so, yeah, who knows? But I'm a big believer in listening to your gut. And if your gut tells you, hey, take that opportunity, run with it, run with it. And if your gut says, no, take it easy, take it easy. Um, but yeah, listen, listen to your gut. I've seen like some messages recently. I think I saw it ages ago and then I completely forgot. And I saw it again. And it's like a quote that's like, you can have everything, but just not all at once. You know, you you can do lots of different things. You just have to pick your moment, wait your time. And um, yeah, let time run its course, I guess. You yeah. don't have to rush everything. And there's I think plenty of years like the bravest, ahead. Uh, yeah, some of the bravest decisions are actually to say no. And actually, the reason it's brave is because you're recognising that what you've got in your life right now is enough. And I think in a modern society where we've got Instagram and, you know, all sorts of people showing off, sometimes you you feel like you've got to keep going or, you know, earn enough money for that next holiday or that next outfit that you've seen somebody have. And we're constantly striving to do more and be more. And actually, sometimes being brave enough to say, actually, I don't want that. I'm quite happy with what I've got. I don't want much more is really, really hard. Um, and that's definitely what I'm going through over the last couple of months is, actually, am I, am I happy with what I've got? Do I want much more right now? And maybe maybe I don't. Um, but for someone that's always strived to have more, that's <laughs> it's really hard. It's quite um, an unusual but, feeling. Yeah, no, I agree with that statement. It is, it's really weird. I'm really struggling with it, but also feeling quite comfortable in it too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. It's a very brave decision it's a very hard decision but it's one that definitely contributes to all of our well-being at the end of the day it is a weird position to be in for sure but yeah and I think it's like I don't know about about so everyone else but I see a lot of people feeling overwhelmed you know I speak to a lot of my friends and they were, they're just overwhelmed and especially after COVID I mean our lives all slowed down and then they suddenly raced up again and everyone just looks exhausted and I think that Sometimes we need to just sit down and say, how can I make life simple again? How can I start enjoying those simple pleasures? And actually maybe getting out in nature is one of those things that helps us slow down. And whether that is, you know, having the luxury of being able to, you know, buy a paddleboard and taking, you know, an hour a day to go go paddleboarding or taking five minutes even just to go for a dip in the water or, you know, walk around a local park. But those moments in nature really help you slow down and get perspective. Um, and I think that's what I'm really, you know, want to encourage people to do more of is, is to slow down and take a moment because otherwise you just get this real sense of overwhelm and you, you never slow down. Mm. Did you find that when you were like in the middle of the ocean, although 
there was obviously a lot going on and it was probably quite overwhelming at, at times. Did you find that you were able to kind of slow down and just get into your new routine and you didn't have 10 million distractions in the background? Like, how did you manage that? And then how did you manage coming in at the other end? Was it exciting or um, or were you like, oh, shit, now I have to <laughs> go back to reality? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, one of the, the, like, the best things about rowing across the ocean is no one get you on whatsapp no one can call you and then if you don't pick up be like why aren't you picking up um there's no emails there's no like there is nothing like you're not at people's beck and call and you just slow down mm. you have conversations like you have conversations with your teammates that you just wouldn't have on land and it's really peaceful it's really magical and i feel really privileged to have seen the world and mother nature like that because you know not many people do have the opportunity to be mid-pacific and just really feel very small and, and at one with with the world I guess and as cheesy as that is and it is scary coming back to land because the moment you get a signal your phone just goes crazy I mean we're talking like thousands of like Instagram messages WhatsApp messages emails and you're like oh my god here we go again and so when you're at sea you really we practice like gratitudes and we'd be like let's just be grateful for what we've got out here because when you're at sea, you kind of want to be back at home because you want the showers and you want your friends and you want your luxuries. But actually, when you're on land, you want the peacefulness of the sea. And so definitely in the Pacific, we were like, well, let's just make sure we appreciate these these quiet moments and be grateful for this opportunity and this privilege because when we get back on land, it's going to be a whirlwind again. Um, and definitely, you know, that's probably a reason why I would want to, would want to row across another ocean or do something else is just having that, that disconnect for a certain amount of time. Um, but I guess I'm just questioning whether I need to row across an ocean to get the disconnect. Maybe I can just go lock my, like, shut myself in a cabin in Finland or something instead. Well, I was just about to say that. It's sad in a way that we have to kind of go into the middle of nowhere to disconnect. And you can't just switch your phone off for the weekend or, you know, go to the beach. And it's nice when you go camping or to a beach or somewhere where there's no signal and you're like, oh, I can just enjoy it. And I don't have someone trying to get hold of me or like you don't feel yeah. like you have to do certain things um yeah yeah it's it's weird my friends got used to it I'm I'm particularly bad on my phone at the weekends because I like just putting it down and going out and just enjoying the weekend and I'm lucky to live in Cornwall where there's so much to do um so yeah I'm I normally get to a Sunday evening and I'm like oh my god I've ignored everybody and I have to sit down for an hour and be like sorry but actually all of them just know now that I'm just not as good for, uh you know not as good at messaging on my phone and if they need something urgently just call me yeah <laughs> I'm not sure where Maddie's gone. She's, she's just, <laughs> she's just disappeared. As well. <laughs> she wanted that moment of disconnect, and she's like, "I'm out of." Maybe that was it. <laughs> oh, I mean, and and about eating, like, did you have the same meals on repeat, or did you kind of did like did you plan ahead? Were you like, "This is my favorite meal. I'm going to eat it." Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. How did that go? Yeah, variety is the spice, uh, and it is the motivation. Um, so we definitely plan to have variation out there. You are limited, really, in your choices a little bit. But, you know, the dried food packets, you've got all sorts of, like, foods from... Weirdly, my favourite is um, cod and curry sauce, which sounds disgusting. It doesn't smell that good either, but it tastes so good when you're at sea. So, like, a little bit of cod and curry sauce I love, but you've also got things like pasta and curries and shepherd's pies and all sorts of stuff so actually um the food bits 
a really big motivator out there because you can also eat as much chocolate as you like and um, no one's going to tell you what. <laughs> no, that's so true. And like, I also, sorry, this is like a million questions, which I guess is kind of the point of this, but want to know about like the physical <laughs> side of it. Um, I've seen people talk about pressure sores from sitting all day um, and I guess your hands must really suffer. Did you wear like gloves or do you have anything to kind of stop your hands? from wearing out and how did your body yeah recover from that whilst you were at sea yeah um you're I've always worn um I think they're called bear gloves and um, they're like weightlifting uh, pads um so you've just got little loops around three of your fingers and then a pad and therefore I've never really got any major blisters on my hands um after the first couple of days you get maybe a few from where the pads rub but other than that my hands have always been fine so I, I've used those religiously I've always had a massive problem with my, my bum. Uh, so my first crossing apparently was so infected, I showed a doctor afterwards I should have been on antibiotics. And um, sitting down was like sitting on smashed glass and then Ooh. having to row in it for two hours. It was just unbelievable. And uh, yeah, probably too much info, but I now have a very sensitive bum. So if I sit in a wetsuit for too, for too long, um, all of those sores come back out again. And it's, yeah, it's not fun at all. I did manage it a little bit better in the Pacific and I've learned, you know, ways to protect it as much as you can um but it yeah that that isn't fun um and your shins get a real beating so the waves always pick up the oars and you batter your shins with the handles of the oars and that's really painful as well so yeah your body does get a bit of a beating um and it does take a while to recover um especially because you, you don't walk like you don't walk once when you're at sea uh, because the boat's so small you essentially you know, get in the cabin and sit on your bum again so um you lose all your calf muscles and walking on land for the first week or so is sort of looking like a waddle like a waddling duck you sort of can't walk very quickly and you're sort of rocking from side to side but um again your body does get its strength back remarkably quickly you know within a month you uh you're back to your full weight there's a joke in the ocean rowing world that you sort of you come back looking like barbies at a brown tanned and skinny but uh don't don't hold on to it for too long because you're going to go back to normality within a month <laughs> how did you find that recovery did you feel shattered when you got into to antigua and hawaii or did you recover quite quickly how did you find like the the, gen the physical transition i guess um yeah the Atlantic, I think I was so young, I kind of bounced back quite quickly. Not mentally. Mentally, I really struggled after the Atlantic, but physically, I bounced back very quickly. The Pacific, I bounced back mentally a lot better um, because I think I was just older and I knew, knew myself better. Uh, but physically, I think it took a little bit longer and I just took a year out of the gym, to be honest, um, and just gave myself permission to not do anything. Um, and I am actually now back in the gym and actually weirdly back on a rowing machine and I'm really enjoying it. I enjoy being fit. Um, when I say really enjoying it, I don't actually love going to the gym, but I'm enjoying feeling fit. And so I kind of forced myself to do it. Um, yeah, so I, it, it did take a, bit, a little bit more time after the Pacific. Yeah, I've seen people say that with um, like your... Sorry, losing my words. Um, <laughs> I've seen uh, people kind of saying in relation to not wanting to go to the gym, it's not, you know, should you go, yes or no? Like, should you, will you feel better after going? Yes or no? If yes, then go to the gym. If no, then don't go to the gym, take a day off. Yeah, yeah. 
it's the same as swimming. Like I've, I've never had a bad swim. And if I'm sitting in my flat and I'm looking outside and I thought it's raining and it's windy. I really don't want to go out there. But I've never come out of a cold water dip and been like, that was awful. I, I wish I hadn't done it. Because I always feel better afterwards. Yeah. So it's always like, just pack up, get in the car and go. And then you come back and you're like, wow, I feel so much better. So yeah, Ooh, good question to ask. <laughs> no, I think, I don't think I've ever regretted or ever had a bad... I mean, I've had bad paddle sessions, but I've never regretted going out paddling, I don't think. Um, even, I mean, if it has been a bad one, then I've learned from it. You learn various new skills or kind of things that you probably should know. <laughs> and um, and that can make the future sessions even better again. And I guess that's probably the same. You must have learned so much at sea that you yeah. obviously are doing such a great job of sharing that message now um but if you do do another crossing you'll be able to take that knowledge and kind of you know put it into practice but i guess yeah, yeah mentioning about the sores on your bum that must even that alone must make a third crossing seem like oh should i really go through that again yeah i think i almost need to like have a bit of space between the last road to forget about it to be honest um <laughs> Because I definitely have been tempted to do it very recently and it's sort of like, actually, I think it's all still too raw, the memories of the things I didn't enjoy doing. Whereas I left enough time between the Atlantic and the Pacific that I'd almost forgotten about the hard stuff mm. and just remember the good stuff. And um, yeah, the pain of the Pacific is still a little bit too recent for me to really feel motivated to get back on it again. Um, so yeah, you're, you're right in that. Yeah, <laughs> you must have seen some really cool things. Like, I feel like we've spoken a lot about the negatives and the challenges that you face, <laughs> but you must have seen some amazing things as well that you're so grateful for those memories. Did you see any like cool animals or were there any particular standout moments? Um, yeah, on the Pacific we had, I think it's like called a moonrise, where the sun, it was on the equinox, so the moon came up at the exact same time that the sun was setting on opposite um, horizons, because obviously you've got a 360 horizon when you're at sea. And when the moon was coming up, we didn't know it was the moon. I came out on to my shift and the girls were like, we think there's a boat on fire on the horizon, but there's no boat on the AIS system. Like, what is happening? And then we suddenly realized it was the moon coming up, but because the sun was op directly opposite it, it was lighting it up and it looked like it was on fire. And it was just mind blowing this entire view. So that was really cool. And then we also had like, um, I think they're called moon bows, where it rains at nighttime, but it's, the moon is so bright that it creates a sort of like white uh, rainbow, but it's just white. And um, that's amazing as well. So these things that you can't necessarily see here uh, on land or, uh, yeah, or the stars, the stars are incredible. Remember one time a shooting star was so like bright. It was like a rocket in the sky. I thought the world was going to come to an end. I was like, oh my God, this was like, it was totally crazy. Um, so yeah, those, those things keep you going. And I remember um, like one night in the Pacific, P and I were really struggling to stay awake. And so as she came on to shift, I was swapping with her. I said, right, competition, how many shooting stars can you see in your shift? And you, you sort of try and pin your eyes open and be like, okay, one shooting star. Like trying to spot the next one. Oh, that's the second one. And you kind of keep yourself awake by trying to spot them. Yeah, epic. I've only seen a few shooting stars um and i've like purposely been looking for them on nights where there have been meteor yeah. showers and i'm sure it's nowhere near as good as when you're at sea and it's just darkness all around it must to be honest even just the darkness must be quite overwhelming i think it must be so much darker there than here yeah oh my dog's out to ground Power. no <laughs> um yeah yeah the darkness when there's no moon um 
it's it's pitch black. You can you can't even see your hand in front of you. And I never really understood, like really maybe appreciated the moon because you understand when you're at sea that it comes out in these, these like weird patterns. Like, I never really appreciated the moon doesn't always come out at nighttime. Like sometimes the moon's coming out in the daytime and you only get it for an hour at night. And so you have this new sort of appreciation of the moon when you're at sea because you really rely on it for your light source at nighttime when it is out um, and how much light it really does provide. So yeah, definitely a newfound appreciation for the moon since being at sea. <laughs> oh, lots of things to be grateful for, for sure. So yeah. in the next few, we always talk about kind of what people's next steps are, but we've already spoken about that a little bit. But obviously people can find you doing various speaking events and things like that. Do you have any events coming up or anything that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, I actually don't have any public ones coming up. They're all sort of um, private or corporate events. Um but I love doing them. I love traveling around the country, meeting people and um, sharing my story and the lessons. So yeah, if anybody has an event coming up or uh, anything like that, uh, I've got a website, it's bellacollinsadventure.com um, and on that's all the information. Perfect, so people can find you there. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. It was great to chat to you and I've learned a yes, lot about <laughs> ocean rowing, um, a lot more than I thought I'd probably ever know maybe one day <laughs> we'll see i'll probably be one of those people yeah, who's like that would be really cool but won't actually do it <laughs> you never know you might surprise yourself one day <laughs> oh great well thanks so much for joining us um and uh yeah we look forward to seeing what your next steps are <laughs> thank you so much i appreciate you having me on bye bella Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Rise and Glide with Bella Collins. Maddie and I absolutely loved hearing all about Bella's challenges rowing across the ocean. And we've taken a lot away from the conversation as well. So we hope you have too. Please let us know. Send us a message if there was anything that you took from this conversation. And we'll see you next week for the final episode of season one of Rise and Glide. I hope you get out on the water this week in the meantime. Rise and Glide is brought to you by the team behind Paddlelogger. Get more from your paddling with the Paddlelogger app. Find it on the Apple App Store today.